Well, good morning. It is good to be back with you all. Good to be with you on this Labor Day weekend, this Lord's Day, no doubt. It's just a privilege to bring the word before you. Heroes can't save you. We're going to look at Peter, the hero this week. Saying that Peter's a hero is a little funny because he's just all over the map. One minute Peter is uh, the absolute best, the next minute Peter is just the worst. So get your Bibles out, turn to chapter uh, 21 of John's Gospel. That's the end of John's Gospel. So if you go to the book of Acts and turn back a page, you may just find it. Um, The end of John's Gospel, uh, we're going to look at the end of John's Gospel to see a lesson that Peter has to learn. Peter can't save you, but what can we at least learn from Peter's life and the end of Jesus's uh, time and the last time he gets to talk to Peter at least. So let's open our Bibles to John chapter 21. We're going to read the whole uh, chapter. Ooh, we're going to read the whole chapter of John chapter 21, uh, and then we're going to read sections of it again and, and look back on it and read some more of it. We're just going to be all in this passage this morning. So John chapter 21, I hope you're there by now. Let's start reading in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the seer of the sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. You will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for it was stripped uh, for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, about a hundred yards. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore, uh, full of fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took bread, and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So he said to him, feed my lambs. And Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus said to him, tend to my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And so Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, 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 I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, is, uh, this, he said, to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Last couple of verses. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. And he, this was the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, what about this man? 
And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he may remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not going to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not going to die. But he said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. We know his testimony is true. Last verse, now there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray. Father, a great text. Let us learn something from this. Let us learn a little about your gospel, about the message we need to hear every day, whether we're saved or not, that we've been forgiven of our sins by your son's death on the cross. But let us learn something here about what it means to follow you, about what it means to put ourselves aside, what it means to be sustained by you, what it means to live for you in a Christian identity, no other thing. Father, I pray we would learn something, shape hearts, mine own even, to learn about you and to follow you better after reading and learning from this word. It's in your name, I pray, amen. So, Peter, let's, uh, let's highlight a couple of the main uh, points or a couple of big things that happened in Peter's life. Uh, write these down. I'll read them. You know, you can reflect on them later. But Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, uh, Peter's actually one of the first two disciples ever uh, picked by Jesus. So Matthew 4, 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to him, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Uh, fishermen kind of playing into this story too. Uh, the first person to ever identify Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, was actually Peter. So Matthew 16, verse 13, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples said, well, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. So previous to this, uh, Jesus wasn't affirmatively called the Messiah or the Christ. He was teaching, and Peter is the first person to say, no, you're the Christ. You are the Messiah. Immediately after this, Jesus gives Peter a great promise. So Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus says to Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. A great promise uh, for the future of the church, that Peter would be among those who establish it. And then a few verses later, we get one of the more famous moments in Peter's life. Right after a big highlight, right after a great moment, we get this, Matthew 16, uh, verse 23. Jesus tells the disciples that the Messiah, who he just established is himself, that the Messiah must die on the cross. And Peter, uh, this happens. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And then he turned to Peter and said, Jesus did, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Maybe the other worst moment Peter ever had that's also very famous for Peter is 10 chapters later. Matthew 26, uh, verses 30 through 35 say this. They had sung a hymn, and they went to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, of me, uh, away from me because of this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. 
But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And then Peter answered to him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall. And Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same, but we know Peter does end up denying Jesus three times. But, you know, those last two highlights in Peter's life are pretty bad. That's not the end of the story for Peter. You know in the book of Acts, uh, Peter goes on to do great things. I mean, he's preaching at the Pentecost. We know beyond that, he writes some of the very canon of Scripture. I mean, he writes First and Second Peter. He's writing in the books of the Bible. And Peter was a sinner. We know this. He needs forgiveness of sins just like we do. He needs forgiveness because he too, just like us, has sinned against God. And he needs forgiveness of sins that only comes by the person and work of Jesus Christ. Peter knows that. That's the only way to be saved. But there's more. Uh, there's not more to the gospel, but there's more to learn from this passage about what it means to identify as a Christian. So it's funny, John 21, so what we just read a few moments ago, John 21 seems like it's the last chapter of John's gospel, but it kind of seems like the wrong place to end John's gospel. So turn back a page in your Bibles uh, to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, 30, uh, verses 30 and 31. This seems like the point uh, that you would end your gospel of John on. So at this point, uh, Peter, uh, Jesus reveals himself to the disciples, and he's got you know, the scars on his hands that Thomas needs to look at to see if this is really Jesus. And then it says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That kind of seems like a great end point for the gospel of John. I mean, that is awesome. That's the purpose statement of the Gospel of John. Like, if your Bible has headings, it probably says the purpose of this book. And he says, written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you'd have eternal life. Seems like the place to end the Gospel of John on. However, believing and having eternal life comes with following Jesus. And that seems to be the point of John chapter 21. Peter is getting kind of a master class on what it means to follow Jesus, and I think we can learn some similar lessons from this. Because what does it mean to be a follower of anything? Not just Jesus. What does it mean to be a follower of your favorite sports team? Does it mean that you've never watched a single game? Does it mean that you don't own an article of uh, you know, uh, paraphernalia of the team or anything like that? What does it mean to follow someone, a mentor? Does it mean that you've never spoken to that person once? Does it mean that you never think about that person, never listen to what they have to say? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. I think that's what we're going to learn. I know that's what was, is in John chapter 21, and I pray that we will learn that. So let's uh, get into this lesson on this master class of discipleship, and let's look at our first point. Peter goes fishing. Peter goes fishing, very simply. Let's read the first 14 verses again. We'll see what exactly uh, is, is behind the whole Peter going fishing thing. So verse 1, John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, though Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Have you caught any fish? They said to him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. So they cast it. And they were not able to haul the net in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. 
And when Simon Peter saw uh, or heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for it was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards. Verse nine, when they got on, when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. And so would the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So verse 14, the third time that Peter has seen him now, all of the disciples. That's very important when you think about what Peter does in verse uh, one or two when he goes fishing. This is the third time he's been confirmed that Jesus is not dead but resurrected. This is the third time that the kind of the crux of Christianity, the resurrection has been confirmed to, Jesus, to Peter and instead he goes fishing. You see in verse one or two, he says, let's go fishing to the other disciples. And that's important because we see that Peter returned to what he had been brought out of. That's number A. Peter had returned now to what he had been called out of. Because if you think back to Matthew four, verse 18, they were fishing, he and his brother Andrew. And Jesus came to them and said, no, 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 follow me and I'll make you fishers, not of fish, but of men. It appears after, what, three years serving with Jesus and learning from Jesus as a disciple that Peter's lost uh, what he learned. Peter doesn't know what he learned anymore. He's forgotten it. He's lost his identity. Now, here's the thing. Some people say that Peter was just trying to make money. Some people say that Peter was actually kind of smart, that he's being a great, you know, practical person because you need to make money to live, that he just went fishing. But I think what we see in this chapter, uh, I disagree with that because it looks like from Jesus' actions that Peter is totally in the wrong here. The rest of the disciples, but Peter in particular, has the inner workings of his heart, has lost his identity as a Christian. Because, you know, Paul made tents, right, to survive in Corinth, to advance the kingdom. He made tents, he worked. But this is not what Peter is doing here, I don't think. I think, you know, the inner workings of Peter Hart's, he had lost his identity. He was not uh, identifying, not knowing that he was a Christian. And it's funny, Jesus comes onto the shore and we can establish that Peter doesn't have the right identity. He doesn't know who he is anymore. And Peter, uh, Jesus knows exactly who he is. From the shore, he says, children, have you caught any fish? No matter how many times Peter could lose his identity, no matter who loses their identity, Jesus knows who you are. You are a child of God. Peter was a child of Jesus. And then Jesus gets a little tongue in cheek. And this is where we start to see, I think, that uh, Peter was totally in the wrong and that Jesus wasn't even allowing them to catch any fish. He says, have you caught any fish? And we know Jesus, all-knowing God, knows that they haven't caught any fish. He's trying to point them in the direction that maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe he's not allowing me to catch any fish. The first of Jesus' actions that show us that Peter's not being practical, he's being uh, faithless. You know, it's funny, this is the third time that Peter's seen Jesus since the resurrection, or it would be the third time, so he's seen him twice before, and he's lost his identity. He's not identifying as a Christian. He's identifying as a fisherman, just a dude who has to make money. After all the signs, you know, after three years, and like we said with Jesus, Peter's not identifying as a Christian. And so Jesus, I, I think, performs the supernatural, doesn't allow them to catch any fish, because you see, he says, cast it on the other side, and then suddenly they catch 153 fish. And the good thing is that makes no sense. 
Because it, make, it makes no sense that uh, they wouldn't catch anything all night and then they'd suddenly catch something in the morning. See, what they would do is they'd kind of work th- third shift when they'd fish like this. They'd fish all night so that they, when they went to sell it, it was fresh in the morning. They didn't have old fish. So it makes no sense that what they had done, you know, as a career of fishermen no longer works now. It makes no sense that the right side of the boat is any more fruitful than the left side of the boat. That's a good thing. It's a good thing that it makes absolutely no sense that this is the case, that when they cast it on the other side of the boat, they'd catch uh, 153 fish because, thank goodness, Jesus is here pointing them in the direction of him. Think back to John chapter 20. These miracles, these signs were performed so that you would believe, you would know that Jesus is the Son of God. This miracle here, pointing the disciples to know that Jesus is there, that he is the Son of God, pointing them back to Jesus. That's the purpose of all the miracles. That's the reason why Jesus heals the sick. That's why he uh, makes the blind to see. That's why he walked on water, was to point them to the fact that he was the Son of God. That's why a lot of times he tells them not to go tell people what just happened. So he'd healed somebody and then he'd say, don't speak of this. Because he's, he knows that if they went and told people, those people that would hear would be confused. They'd think the Son of God or Jesus was here to perform miracles and like a genie grant wishes. And instead, he wanted them to wait. You would know what the purposes of these miracles were once the work on the cross had happened. That he was the Son of Man by his power, but that his purpose was to die for our sins. So Peter needs to know this. Peter's returned to what he's been brought out of, and now he gets a great kind of uh, put back into place about who Jesus is. Don't lose your identity in me. Here I am. And Jesus greatly does the, uh, the supernatural. That's why this sign is in this story, to point the disciples back to Jesus. And we can certainly learn from that. And then Peter, uh, very Peterly, responds to Jesus's sign. So Peter's all in once he sees that it's Jesus on the shore. You see, he says, John, uh, the apostle that, or the disciple that Jesus loved is John the apostle, and he said, uh, hey, it's the Lord. It must be. There's no other explanation. It's clearly the Lord. And then what does Peter do? It's almost funny. I mean, it's almost comical. He puts on his clothes, jumps into the water, because I guess the boat's just not good enough for him, and he swims to shore, because the boat's maybe too slow, and he gets to shore. And then when he gets to shore, Jesus says, hey, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And then Peter jumps on the boat, and hauls in 153 fish all on his own. So Peter was evidently pretty strong. That's what many accounts say. Peter, this is kind of like, wow, he was really a strong person. But it's almost funny. I mean, he's just all in. Now, it's good, too. We can actually learn a little something from Peter's reaction here. Now, we can learn a little something in the bad way from Peter's uh, let's go fishing, that he was being utterly faithless. And then now, he responds to Jesus in a way that I think we can all learn from. I mean, how many of us are apathetic in our response to the truth of the gospel, even if we're already believers? How many of us would jump off the boat and swim 100 yards, or metaphorically, another version of that? How many of us are quite as all in as Peter is here? But here's the scary thing for many of us believers, I think. Peter's responding to a physical miracle that's happening right in front of him, and Jesus on the shore. I ask you a question. When's the last time Jesus was on the shore and you were fishing? The miracles and the signs are in the Bible, just as John said, to be recorded so that we would read them and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Not that we would expect them to happen to us too. Now, I still believe that Jesus and God can perform the supernatural. Look, I hear too many stories and people hear too many stories of overseas missions performing the supernatural, these crazy things happening, and I still 
uh, leave the harshest skeptic in me still leaves room for those things to absolutely be true because God is all-powerful and can do whatever he wants to. But we also know that the Bible is here to point us to the cross, to Christ. We're not always gonna be met with a huge miracle right in front of us. We may just be met with the Bible or someone bringing a word from the Bible to you. We can't expect, we can't necessarily expect miracles to be happening to us. You may wind up sorely disappointed one day when the best miracle, the best sign you ever had was right in front of you, right in the pew back, right in front of you, waiting for you to dive in and read, 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 and pray that the Holy Spirit would move through you. The Bible is something of a miracle. It is the supernatural that God would sustain these 66 books for all of you know, history until we would have it now and when we had it before. It is something of a miracle to have the Bible just in front of you, and it is, you know, we can learn a little something from Peter's reaction, but in our version, we read the Bible, and we must be all in to the cause of Christ, just like Peter is. I mean, Peter's all in. He puts on his clothes, swims, hauls in the 153 fish. I mean, he's, he's all over the place in this passage, but at least right now, he's all over the place in the right way. We can learn a little something from that about apathy to the Christian life, being confronted with a miracle that is the word, being confronted with the Holy Spirit, and being apathetic. That's not Peter in this. Peter's not apathetic. We're not Peter, but we can learn a little something from this. I hope this is convicting as it is for me studying this passage, how often I don't pick up the Bible and read, 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 and pray, and how often I don't respond to the Holy Spirit or to the Bible quite like Peter does here. And then they get to the shore, so Peter's learned a little something about faithlessness, and then they get to the shore and they learn a little something about what it means to be a follower of Christ. And what it means to be a follower of Christ is seen in Jesus' example. What is Jesus doing on the shore when they get to shore? When Peter swims and then when the boat shows up, Peter ser- uh, Jesus is serving his disciples again and again. He's making them breakfast. The fire's ready, the bread's already there, some fish is already there, and he says, bring some more so that I can cook you some more. Jesus is serving just like he said he would. You know, Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. We can learn a little something from Jesus' actions in this passage. Peter learns you have to be faithful. You have to be all in for the cause of Christ. Part of that looks like servanthood. Jesus is the ultimate servant. We can learn a little something. If we want to learn and act and live like Jesus, servanthood. Being a servant to others just as Jesus is here. So to follow Jesus is to be faithful. We see that. It's to be a servant. We can't lose our identity. And if we have our identity, that being a Christian, that being a follower of Christ, we're called to serve. Serve his people, serve his church, serve him. We uh, have enough reason to be faithful. Therefore, we must you know, come together, serve each other, shoulder each other's burdens, grow to be more like Christ. So Peter learns a little bit about faithfulness and servanthood. And then we're going to see our second point, verses 15 through 17. Uh, Peter is questioned by Jesus. So Peter gets questioned by Jesus. Let's read those three verses, 15, 16, and 17. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to uh, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So he said to him, Jesus did, tend to my sheep. And then Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And so he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know 
that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So Peter is questioned by Jesus, and the first thing we see in these first thing we see in these questions is that Peter gets a chilling reminder. Peter gets a chilling reminder. Three times, verses 15, 16, and 17, uh, Peter is asked a question. He's asked in verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you love me? In verse 17, Simon, son of John, do you love me? There's so much in these three questions, in these three verses. First thing, do you notice what Peter, uh, what Jesus calls Peter? Look at each one of those questions. Look at verse 15. He says, Simon, do you love me? Interesting that Jesus doesn't call him Peter, because if you think back to that great Matthew 16 verse, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And if you've ever heard a sermon on that passage, or if you have a study Bible, or know anything about Greek, you know that Peter and uh, rock in Greek are pretty much the same word. I mean, they both mean rock. So that passage essentially reads, you are a rock, and on this rock I will build my church. But here, Jesus doesn't call Peter a rock. He doesn't call him Peter. He calls him Simon. Perhaps Jesus is making the point that Peter hasn't acted a whole lot like a rock. You know, since the crucifixion, he's denied him three times. He's gone fishing. Uh, Peter's been a little unsteady, a little unrock-like. He's not really lived up to his namesake. He's had an identity crisis. After identity crisis, Peter's being reminded, look, you're not living up to your name. And he's reminded about something else, but we'll get to that later. And then he says, he says, Simon, do you love me more than these? So he says that once. He says that in verse 15. It's a little ambiguous. Do you love me more than the other disciples? Do you love me more than the other disciples love me? Do you love me more than fish? It's a little ambiguous. People haven't really nailed down what the more than these really means, but it kind of encapsulates, or encapsulates all of those things. Do you love me more than these? Whatever Peter's heart was thinking that meant at the time. And he responds like a rock each time. Each time he's asked, do you love me? He responds very Peter-like, very rock-like, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Starting to act more like his name. And then each time he's given the same charge, uh, different variations, but feed the lambs, tend the sheep, feed the sheep. Love for Christ requires love for, for people, loving people. Feeding the sheep, serving the body of Christ, tending to the sheep. And it's that, it's that go and feed the sheep that gives Peter a loving restoration. A loving restoration. That's what we see at the back half of this. He's, giving a chilling, he's given a chilling reminder and now a loving restoration. So why do you think he asked him three times? It grieves Peter on the third time to be asked that, you know, Simon, do you love me? Peter clues in at the third time that Jesus is not just repeating himself like he did maybe once. It grieves Peter because Peter knows, I'm being asked this three times because I denied him three times. It's that third time, though, that grieves Peter because he's reminded, well, yeah, I did do that. I did do that awful thing. I have lost my identity. But it's that third time that brings Peter back into the fold, that Jesus is restoring Peter, Peter's identity, bringing him back. And now, you see here, he's been brought back into the fold and charged to go do all that stuff that happens in the book of Acts, all that feeding of sheep, all that establishing the church for the first time. Peter can't save anyone. Peter can't even save himself or restore himself back to the fold. Being a follower of Christ looks a lot like Peter here, being humble and just, and just being humble to 
the fact that only Jesus can sustain us, only Christ can restore us when we fail. We're all going to fail. I mean, I'm probably going to fail three more times today. When someone cuts me off, I'm going to do something. I'm going to not act like a Christian. I'm going to not act like a rock. I mean, I'm going to do this. Scott's going to do it, believe it or not. We're all going to fail today and many more days, and only Jesus can restore us. We must learn from Peter's example here. Humility is an is a aspect of the Christian life, of following Jesus, even when we fail. We can still follow him because we have to be humble. He can restore us. So third point, we see Peter is restored back to Christ, and then this is kind of the crescendo. Peter is called to follow. Peter's called to follow him. Uh, let's read uh, verses 18 to the end of this chapter. We'll see this following, get a little bit of good, practical ways to follow. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, walk wherever you wanted, and when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, uh, the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he may remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not going to die. But he said that if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Last couple of verses. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. We know his testimony to be true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written down, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is kind of the, the end of the story. This is the last little call to follow. This is the good things that Peter needs to learn about following Jesus. And it's that great call to follow that restores and preps Jesus to go do all that stuff that happens in the, books of, in the book of Acts. So Peter answered him each time, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And even the last time he says, you know everything, you know that I love you. And then what Jesus says here is that if you love Jesus, a love for Jesus requires self-sacrifice. Love for Jesus requires self-sacrifice. He says this in verse 18. Verse 18, what did he say? He said, you used to dress yourself. You used to carry yourself wherever you wanted to go. And when you're old, you won't dress yourself. And someone will take you where you don't want to go. And John added in the parentheses that this was written uh, to prophesy the death that Peter would die. And it, would be a, and it would be a death that brings glory to God. Think about that, though, man. There's the joke that people say, you know, I just want to know when I die and how I die so that I can live my life in between and not be on edge. And Peter doesn't get that. Peter maybe is on edge for the rest of his life, or, or I guess if you think that that's the right way to go, that you just wish you would know how to go, Peter gets that. I know I wouldn't want that. I know I wouldn't want to be waiting for the day that I would be carried where I don't want to go. Just like he says, would bring glory to him. The good thing is that it does. Peter's death did bring glory to God. By all accounts in history, Peter died serving the church, serving Christ, fulfilling the Great Commission, but he died crucified, upside down because he didn't want to you know, identify as Christ or be related to Christ. He knew he was not Christ, but he was crucified upside down. So by all accounts in history, Peter died exactly how Jesus said he would. He would be carried where he did not want to go, but it would be a death that brings glory 
to God. And that's true discipleship, a self-sacrifice, being carried where we don't want to go, no longer dressing ourselves, living a life of self-sacrifice. And we know that it's that self-sacrifice that is a, a, a aspect of following Jesus because the next words out of Jesus' mouth are, follow me. Hey, you're going to die in this way, you're going to live in this way, and it's going to bring glory to me, so follow me. That is what happens when you follow Jesus. And it's funny, it's interesting. What, were Jesus, what was Jesus' first words or first command to Peter ever? Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And Jesus' last command to Peter is the same, follow me. That is the command of the Christian life, to rest, to repent of our sins and lean on the person and work of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of those sins and to follow him. And it's fitting, uh, Peter gets the last few words of advice uh, because very Peterly uh, and, and fitting with Peter's personality, Peter is concerned about the wrong calling. It's the last couple of verses. Uh, Peter gets a little bit, uh, last couple of words of wisdom from Jesus before the end of the gospel. Peter looks back and sees John the apostle walking with them the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he says to Jesus, what about that guy? What about him? Jesus gives him a last little word of wisdom. Hey, I don't, you shouldn't care about that. If he's supposed to live for the rest of his life and never die, or if he's supposed to stay here and not leave, that's not your concern. What does he say? He says, you follow me. I hope we can learn something from that. I hope you can learn something from that. Because I know sometimes, uh, especially, funny enough, going off to seminary and seeing all these people, you know, maybe here, you know, Eric could probably relate to this, you're something of a big fish in a small pond in a city like Rock Hill, and you go off to seminary, and everyone's like you, trying to be a pastor one day. And you feel a little intimidated. And then you feel a little jealous. Well, why do they get to do that? Why do they get this? Why do they get those talents? Why do they have those desires? But we do that too in the church. We do that too in the church, so I hope we can learn a little something from Peter's reaction here, that we should be concerned about our calling, no one else's. If you live, you know, wondering about someone else, why they get to do something, why you don't get to do that, you'll be missing the call from Christ, the cause of Christ that you've been uh, placed for. It's not our place to judge who gets to do what. It's not our place even to be discouraged by who gets to do what. True discipleship is self-sacrifice, giving oneself completely over, all in for the cause of Christ, and then, you know, not a half in, not half out, and being concerned about your calling, no one else's. The gospel is the message of forgiveness. You know, we've sinned against a perfect God, a holy God. We've disobeyed him, but then he sent his son to live a perfect life, fulfilling all righteousness, and dying the death that we, the death that would pay for our sins, that we couldn't die. There's no better news than that. There's no better news than forgiveness of sins because that's the ultimate problem with this world and that's the ultimate problem with you and with me. We have a sin problem. Even as Christians, we have a sin problem. That's why, just as we learned from Peter, we lean completely on Christ to be restored, to be always forgiven. When we're under attack, when we feel like we're losing our identity and we're wrestling with our own selves, like we said, we lean on the word. We lean on the salvation that we have once received. We lean on the gospel. We lean on the word because every page of scripture points to the storyline of the Bible, which is you know, forgiveness of sins. It's all leading up to that big moment on the cross and then that even bigger moment at the resurrection. Or I shouldn't say even bigger moment, equally big moment at the resurrection. It's all pointing to this person and work of Jesus Christ. The entire scriptures are. 
And just like this, the person and work of Jesus Christ is for forgiveness of sins. And what Peter learns here is the person of work of Jesus Christ has charged us to follow Christ. We are charged to follow him. If you've once been forgiven, we are charged to always be following him. We're charged to take up our cross daily, denying ourselves daily, living for him, following him, advancing the cause of Christ. We've been forgiven. Let us live like it. All of us, I pray we live like it. I pray we take up that cross. I pray we sacrifice ourselves for the cause of Christ. And if you're here this morning and and you haven't quite repented of your sins and turned in trust in Jesus, there is no better thing you could do. There is no thing you need to do more urgently than give yourself over to a new life away from sin, repenting of it and being forgiven of it. Because you can't do anything to save yourself for eternity. And there is a God out there who requires a payment for your sins for eternity. But you can repent. Jesus Christ can be the payment of your sins in his death and resurrection. If you're waiting on a sign, if you're waiting on a miracle to happen, look around. Look around. We're what, 100 people meeting in one room and agreeing on something in America 2019? When's the last time you got 100 people in a room and all agreed on something? And what are we agreeing on? Not that Clemson is number one in the nation. Not that South Carolina played terrible yesterday. (laughs) What we're agreeing on is the ultimate thing that we could ever agree on, that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior who has died the death that we could not die, that we would spend eternity in paradise. We all agree on this. That's a miracle in its own right. If you're waiting on that sign, if you're waiting on a miracle to happen, you're looking at miracles. Look at verse 25, the last verse. It's become something famous. If you have anybody that really likes the Gospel of John, or maybe this is a dark horse candidate for favorite verse in the Bible. It's been my favorite verse from time to time. My favorite verse seems to uh, kind of flow with what I'm reading. But look at verse 25. Now, there are also uh, many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Jesus did many miracles, many signs. And here's crazy. We kind of metaphor this if we relate this to us. If you wrote down all the sins that have ever been committed by the people in this room, believers and non-believers alike, I'm pretty sure the books of the world or the world could not contain the books that would be written. It wouldn't. You think about that, a, a world covered in books of our sins alone, us hundred people, our sins alone, uh, the world covered in the books of those sins can't stand up to the cross. They can't stand to Jesus. You know, the world spread over of books has nothing on the cross. And that seems really discouraging, a, a world covered in books, but it's really encouraging to know that you have been forgiven from all of those. The encyclopedias that could be written on your sins alone have been forgiven. Sin can't win. Christ is on our side. So we've received a master class, right, from Jesus on how to follow Christ. So what, what can we learn? How do you relate to Peter? If you're going to lunch this afternoon, maybe you should think about this with some people. Maybe you should talk about the sermon afterwards. Think about the Bible here. It's not my words. It's the words of the Lord, the word of God. How do you relate to Peter? Are you faithless at times? Are you having an identity crisis? I mean, I'm pretty sure I have an identity crisis like every other day. Lose my identity every other day. And that's why I, like Peter, need to be restored every other day. Need to be sustained by Christ alone. Are you jealous of someone else's calling? Maybe you can relate to Peter in that, or at least questioning Jesus' calling on someone else's life. Maybe you can pray and lament about that. 
So think about that. How do you relate to Peter? What have you learned from this master class on how to follow Christ and be a follower of Christ? So pray with me as we close. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for this word that has recorded in it all we could ever need for life and godliness. Father, I pray that the forgiveness of sins would be miracle enough for those who need a miracle today. For the followers of Christ in this room, Father, I pray that we would be charged to follow you like we've never followed before, like we would live uh, sustained by you and leaning on you and following you and self-sacrificing or sacrificing ourselves more than we ever have, myself included. I mean, move in me with your spirit. Make me more like you every day. Make me humble to lean only on you. Make me humble to know I couldn't do anything. Make me humble to know that it is your gospel every day that I need because I'm a sinner every single day. So Father, as we sing these songs about how good you are and how good your gospel is, I pray we'd really be singing them like we mean it. I pray we'd really be singing it like the gospel and like you have changed our lives for eternity. Move in the hearts of people here who have not repented and turned and trust in you. There is no better thing they could ever do. I pray for the supernatural to happen, that your spirit would move through all of us right now, convicting us of our sin, making us lean on the cross, and charging us to follow you even better. And it's in your name I pray, amen.